630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. But of course, we begin with more cancellations and scheduling adjustments from the world of sports. No British Open this year. The Claret Jug will not be awarded. It was scheduled for Royal St. George's from July 16th to 19th. The Masters aiming to be played in November. They're looking at November 12th to the 15th. The U.S. Open in September 17th to the 20th. The NFL Draft will go ahead from April 23rd to 25th. Won't be done in person. Will be all be done uh, virtually or uh, uh, through all the uh, the crazy media that connect you from uh, your home and your office and all that kind of stuff. And Detroit Tigers legend Al Kaline passing away at the uh, age of 85. Legendary ball player. He spent his entire 22-year career with the Tigers. And we'll talk a little baseball later on tonight. We're going to welcome Ryan Dempster to the show. Canadian, former big league pitcher, now an analyst with the MLB Rip Network. Here's the snap. Harris dances in the pocket, throws, touchdown Eskimos! Tavon Smith, there's the snap to Harris. He sits in the pocket, going deep, he's got Ellingson, there it is at the 10, touchdown Eskimos! Greg Ellingson has a pair, and the Eskimos increase their lead. Harris is going to go under center. He bobbles it a bit, but takes it into the end zone. He's thrown for two, now he's scored one on the ground, touchdown Eskimos! A Trevor Harris highlight pack as we welcome the Eskimos quarterback back to Inside Sports. Trevor, how are you doing? I'm doing outstanding. How are you? We're doing okay. We're plugging away through this pandemic. Let Eskimos fans know where you've been, how you've been dealing with everything. Um, back in Ohio, uh, just enjoying the time with the family. But uh, it's it really hasn't changed my process a bit. Um, I have a facility. I have uh, in that facility. I have plenty of room to do everything I need to do. My mom owns a dance studio, so it's about 25 yards long, and it's got two rooms in there, and it's got really good flooring. So I'm able to do everything I need to do. I've got every band that I need, and uh, weights, and my dojo, and those sorts of things. So a status quo for me, uh, just a little bit more at home as opposed to running around doing some community work and those sorts of things. So uh, it's it's been tough uh, being home a little bit more, and you know. Seeing the, seeing the tough stuff going on around the world. But, um, you know, it is what it is. We've just got to kind of roll with the punches. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, obviously, you know, the, the medical people and the politicians are in charge here. So you, you don't really know when the CFL season might get going. You know, I've, I've had, uh, I had Randy Ambrosi on the show. I've talked to a couple other CFLers about the potential for uh, a shortened season. Is, is there a minimum number of games that, that you would hope would get played to kind of at least give a proper seating of the teams and, and give the fans and the players a good amount of action? Have you thought about that? Um, you know, I, I have, and, you know, I wouldn't want to play anything less than, like, 18. But, you know, now that, you know, we're going to have a shortened, it's like, man, I'd like to play 16. And, and then you're like, well, if we're forced to, we, I guess we could play 12. College plays 12. And then, like, I've heard people talk about eight games. And I'm like, no, I don't want to play eight games. And then once you get to the in August, September, it's, and we don't, and we're able to say, hey, it's eight games and no games. We're going to take eight games. So, really, whatever happens, I feel like that's what we're going to end up doing. And you know, there's really not much you can do other than wait it out and, and see what happens, and, and let God take care of the rest, and we'll go from there. I was able to talk to your new head coach, Scott Milanovich, last week, and he said he's been doing as much prep as he can and been thinking about the draft. And uh, and I, I believe he was in the process of finalizing the playbook and maybe sending it out. Have you <laughs> have you got to take a look at the playbook yet? 
Yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know, we've discussed some things here and there, and, you know, things are ever-evolving and ever-changing throughout an offseason. So that's uh, been fun to, you know, speak with them here and there, and it's going to be fun to kind of get all of the things tied together so we can know everything we need to know, start dispersing it, talking amongst ourselves, and, uh, you know, try and once I get some information and, you know, whatever is within the parameters of the rules, and I'll talk to Brock and um, go through as much as I can with everybody so when we do report to camp, we can hit the ground running and, and, uh, and go. You know, we don't want to waste any time. And, you know, with the shortened season, I know that they're probably going to be shortening camp and shortening preseason possibly. And uh, so we're going to have to get ready quick. And, you know, it's all about being a pro, taking care of your body, uh, understanding the, the playbook, putting in the extra time and putting in the time before you report. And so uh, it's really going to be a battle or test of your will and test if you want to, which would be a lot of fun too. Yeah, for sure. Are, are you in touch with any of your teammates at all? Have Has there been a group chat or any sort of, uh, you know, just messages going back and forth, everybody trying to keep their spirits up? Yeah, I'm constantly talking to teammates, and uh, I'm checking in with guys every day. I try to check in with you guys here and there every single day. That way they know I'm thinking about them and just to see how they're doing. Um, not even really football stuff, just more about, you know, how's life and, and talking to them because football is more than – Life is more than just football, even though we treat it like it's the most important thing in the world. You want to make sure that your brothers are doing well and uh, that their their well-being is okay, they're mentally okay, and uh, that's really been more of my focus. But, uh, you know, when we get uh, the proper information, we'll sure be talking about some football, and that way when we get uh, get that information, we can hit the ground running and uh, put this season off into uh, the epic season I feel like that we're capable of. And I really do feel like there's special things ahead for the 2020 Eskimos, and I can't wait to get into camp because you know I feel like we're the we're we're ready for that uh, for that breakthrough and to be a truly elite team that can put together a run here for some years to come. Eskimos quarterback Trevor Harris joining us tonight at Inside Sports. Well, you know I, you're always uh, you're always a very positive and upbeat guy when I talk to you, and I'm glad I'm still hearing that today, even though things are are, are different in the world and different for pro athletes. But you, you weren't always a, a pro athlete. It all had to start for you somewhere. Uh, you're from Ohio. Now, take us all the way back, Trevor. Was was football your first love as a sport? Was that the first one you got into? Or what was a, a very young and small Trevor Harris doing? <laughs> uh, the young and small Trevor Harris tried to quit football several times. I didn't like it. I didn't, uh, I didn't enjoy it. Um, I tried to quit my freshman year of high school. My mom paid me 50 bucks to finish the year because she said my dad would have been heartbroken. And uh, so I was like, man, 50 bucks? That's awesome. You know, when you're a freshman in high school, that's a lot of money. And I figured I could eat uh, Chinese takeout food for the for first three weeks of the season. And uh, so I kind of took that. And my first love growing up was basketball. I was a hooper. Um, I used to get to school at 5.30 in the morning and, and shoot hoops until the until the day would start. And I'd try and get four or 500 jumpers up every day. And, um, you know, I but I was, I've always had a strong work ethic and I've always wanted had a will and a want to uh, and, uh, you know, the will to compete and those sorts of things. And throughout high school, my love for the game just kind of grew. And I couldn't believe that colleges wanted to recruit me and pay for my college and went to a Division two school and uh, kind of just did the best I could with where I was at and used what I had and, and loved my teammates. And I looked up, you know, my junior year and there was NFL teams coming to watch me and it was uh, very, very surreal, uh, especially in the fact that I didn't see myself as that kind of a player, but I just tried to focus on loving my teammates. And so that's been my process my whole life is just focusing on loving my teammates and uh, doing everything I can to not let them down. And that's kind of what drives me is that my faith in my family and not letting my teammates down. And that's 
kind of why I think my my fire never burns out, and I'm always able to, you know, have a have a stronger will to to win and will to get better every off season. Well, fifty bucks. I, I hope you didn't share that with Brock Sunderland when you were negotiating your new contract. <laughs> Well, things have changed. I got two kids now and a wife, and uh, they wouldn't let me do that. Although, all of us that play in the CFL, we love the game, and that's uh, what makes this league uh, so unique. Is the guys aren't getting paid millions of dollars, and we come to work every day and we come to grind. And that's uh, you know these guys, these guys love football, and we interact with the fans. And I think that's what makes our league unique, and what makes our league the best league in the world. No, what didn't you like about football that had you ready to walk away from it when you were a freshman in high school? You know, I don't. I don't know that I didn't love football. I just. I just didn't really enjoy it. I mean, every time we get to practice, you're wearing those heavy pads, and um, you know, you'd have to do the stretch lines and leg lifts. And I was like, man, I could be golfing because golf is the same season as football. And I was like, I could golf and play basketball and baseball. And so, like, I was like, I love all those things. You know, this this kind of stinks. It's a physical game. I wasn't a real physical guy, and I was five, six, 120 pounds my freshman year in high school, and so. Uh, there was actually a different freshman quarterback that started JV, uh, junior varsity, over me, and I just played freshman ball. And so I thought I really wasn't too good anyway. And, uh, you know, I just, just continued to grind and work hard just because my personality, the way my dad kind of raised me, my mom and dad are, are ultimate grinders. And, you know, they just had me work hard. And uh, sure enough, I looked up and ended up starting varsity my sophomore year, which was very, very unexpected. We won the state title and just started falling in love with the game ever since. And now it's just – this path to Masters that I'm on is uh, is unparalleled in football. You know, it asks you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, you know, it's not about you. It challenges you mentally, physically, emotionally. And I don't think there's any other game in the world like it that, uh, that, that does those things for you. And that, that kind of drives me to football and the fact that we're in this together. What can we do uh, together sort of thing? Uh, only as long as you're weakest link and you've got to be able to to lead and bring those guys along and i just love football i mean shoot, you listen to that who doesn't love football if you know you articulate it that way yeah well you're so passionate about it which is which is cool and thanks for sharing that story now did you first play like how young were you when you like first first started playing and i'm getting the impression maybe it was your your dad that was encouraging you to get involved in football or how did that go yeah, I started when I was nine years old, and I played free safety and tight end. And uh, my first play ever, I played football. I'll never forget this. Um, you know, I was looking uh, through my face mask, you know, at the bottom of it with my head tilted up, and I looked out in the stands, and I saw my mom and dad, and I started waving to them, and they started pointing toward the field. And uh, there was a guy named Ricky Beecham. He was this big, tall running back. Uh, I played for the Jets, the Mary Midget Football Jets, and he played for the Packers, and he absolutely ran me over like Spike did to kids in the New York and the uh, Little Giants movie. And I remember looking up at the sky going, this ain't for me, man. And uh, and then sure enough, I just gutted through that year, and I said, shoot, I'll just play my next year and uh, just see how it goes. And they asked me to play quarterback because I wasn't athletic enough to be running back. And uh, I was like, I don't want to play quarterback. I want to run the ball. My dad was a running back. I want to be a running back. And sure enough, uh, I played quarterback and just – just really started liking the fact that I was dispersing the ball and I was able to kind of, you know, speak to the guys in the huddle and it, and it make, it brings a little bit more passion to yourself when you're, uh, when you're, you're leading guys and that, that kind of attracted me to the sport and I sort of liked it and wasn't very good at it in my opinion, but, uh, my freshman year of high school, I just kind of gutted through it and 
I kept working at it and working hard at it. It just goes to show if you work hard at something, you're going to continue to get better. And uh, God gave me a passion for this game and a passion to, to love my teammates. And it's turned into this, which I'm super grateful for. And um, just this path to, to mastery is never ending. And that's kind of what is so unique about this as well for me. And um, the fact that, you know, you can just continue to get better, continue to learn, continue to lead. And every year is its own unique challenges. It's just uh it's just something that's just so awesome about football. So, okay, so you mentioned a couple other sports, uh, basketball, baseball. You mentioned golf, too. So when you were a kid, who did you look up to as an athlete? Was it was it football players or were, or was it athletes in other sports? Um, yeah, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I was the biggest Kobe Bryant fan there in the world. I, I just adored Kobe Bryant to, to the end of the because of the way he approached the game, the way that um, – he was tenacious in his preparation. He played every night like it was his last. I'd hear him say um, things like he didn't. Uh, he, he knew that fans weren't going to be able to see him play every night. So even on a, even on road games, he would make sure that he made it a point to go extra hard because he might. That might be the only time somebody gets to see him play. And I just love the passion, uh, the desire he had to play the game, um, the killer instinct, the mentality. Um, something about the way he played just kind of a just always attracted me to love the way he was and who he was as an athlete. And so I always loved Kobe Bryant growing up, and maybe that's where my bas- my love for basketball kind of started. But uh, when I was little, I was a Bengals fan, and I looked up to Jeff Blake and Carl Pickens. And if you know if you know some names like that, you know you're you're a longtime NFL fan there. So uh, just enjoyed uh, watching them play every Sunday and dancing on my couch every time he'd hit Carl Pickens deep on a on a go route and. Uh, so I'd go outside and be Jeff Blake, and my brother would be Carl Pickens in the backyard, and we'd have a ton of fun with it. Oh, that's awesome, Trevor. Man, thanks for sharing those memories. Those are really cool. Look, we appreciate you fitting in time for us here on Inside Sports and talking to Eskimos fans and uh, got a positive attitude. I know you're going to keep that up and look forward to seeing you in town when the season can get going. No, I appreciate it. And just a message for all the fans out there, you know, just just hang tight. Uh, if you're going through a tough time, just know that, that you're not alone and understand that uh, you can always learn something through any tough time. So just make sure that you take notes, write in a diary, whatever you need to do. Um, but the best medicine for any time you're going through a bad a bad oil ordeal is, is a positive attitude and a positive thinking. and That will get you through a lot. And when you end up learning uh, in these moments, that's when the true growth comes in your life. So just challenge everybody out there to, to make sure that you continue to learn and grow through these times. Because this is the important time in life where, where you're going to be challenged. You're going you're gonna to need to be uplifting and encourage other people. And, and through that, you'll learn and grow yourself. Excellent to have Trevor Harris on the show. He's always well-spoken, always interesting. Man, his mom paid him 50 bucks so he wouldn't quit football as a freshman in high school. I had never heard that story before. Good thing he, he stuck with it. He's done pretty well as a pro under contract for three more years with your Edmonton Eskimos. More on Trevor on 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca. Well, we uh, we got to look back with some sadness here. Two years ago today, it was the Humboldt Broncos bus crash, 16 fatalities, 13 others injured, including Caleb Dahlgren, who was a player on the Broncos at the time. He was on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer and reflected on his injuries from the crash. I was in the hospital for 21 days. Um, and for some people, that sounds like a lot, but for other people, that's really short. There's, I'm grateful that I was able to recover as fast as I did. 
And uh, with the extent of my injuries, I'm definitely lucky. I had a fractured skull, a puncture wound in my skull, a decalove in my uh, head, so like the whole side was a road rash, um, a brain injury, broken neck, broken back, blood clot in my ear and in my arm, and just some ligament damage in my neck as well. So to be out of the hospital in that short of a span is uh, pretty much classified as a miracle, and that's what I've been called this whole time. So. I'm just going to take it for what it is and be thankful for everything that I have. And it uh, definitely keeps you motivated to do more. Yeah, I mean, man, uh, that young man has been through a lot. He's trying to get his hockey career back on track with York in U Sports. And he also talked to Stoffer about the mental health support for crash victims. Uh, they've all been super supportive. We've had tons of support uh, given to us, which I think is really beneficial because a lot of people try to hold mental health to the side or put it to the side and focus more on physical. But it, I think it's, you have to be all whole as a person. You can't just have physical and not mental or just mental and not physical. So I think that healthiness is having all of them aligned. And so I've been grateful enough to have the support in my life to clean the point where I'm at and to continue on to continue to be a healthy person in general. Caleb Dahlgren, survivor of the Humble Broncos bus crash. He was on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer earlier today. You can go to the show page on 630Ched.com to get the entire interview or look for Oilers Now wherever you get your podcast. Same deal here. Good to have you tuning in tonight. It is 6.33. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 6.30. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. Happy to have you along for the ride. You can get in touch by calling or texting. It's the same number for both, 780-496-0063. Al writing in, he says, is Trevor Harris for real? What a nice guy. Enjoyed the interview a lot. Thank you very much, Al on the text line. Yes, we've been happy to bring you uh, a lot of good interviews, a lot of uh, Eskimos and Oilers players as we've uh, gone through a uh, a shutdown or a delay in a lot of sports leagues. The situation with the CFL is they have postponed the start of training camp, which was set for May 17th. And uh, that's been a common question I've been asking players, coaches, general managers when they've come on the show. We've had Scott Milanovic on the show. We had uh, Brock Sunderland on the show. We had Commissioner Randy Ambrosi on the show, Trevor Harris tonight. What do you think? Uh, How long should the season be? And I think there's some uh, reality for CFL people that this could be an eight-game season. This could be the sprint of a season. Maybe it's going to start Labor Day or just after. You play in the fall, you get the playoffs, and uh, and you get the Grey Cup. I mean, obviously, an 18-game season at this point seems highly unlikely. I mean, they've already delayed training camp. So, I mean, I mean, for the CFL to play 18 games, you'd probably just have to say no preseason games, which I'm sure for a lot of you wouldn't hurt your feelings. Because This is the funny thing about the CFL preseason games. All the athletes and coaches talk about, well, we want to be ready, we want to be ready, we want to you know, get into the game tempo, and then some of the star players might play a quarter or a couple of series. I mean, some big-name players in the CFL this past season didn't even play at all in the preseason and then just jumped into the, into the regular season. So I, I think that it's uh, it's more of a time where they use to pick some depth players on their roster or to, to decide between players at certain positions. If you're already on the team for sure, then it, it's not that something that is a, a big a deal. So I, I think for the CFL, I, we got to accept the reality here. You know, maybe we get 10. 
I would say an absolute best case for the CFL would be 12. Uh, I, I think probably 10 or 8 is more realistic, and it, it is something that is just played in the fall. You've probably uh, read or uh, heard the reports today about the National Hockey League. And the NHL, I, look, they have to prepare for anything. I, I think we all know the realities that are going on. I think we all know how long this could take, perhaps is likely to take, until we really get an all-clear to have large gatherings, to have sports be something that we can we can focus on again, at least the competition aspect of sports. But the NHL, they're they're trying. They they're having a lot of things that are being considered that they want to have ready to go. If all of a sudden there is the green light to play, and you've probably read the report about maybe they play games at the University of North Dakota. Maybe there are some neutral site games. Maybe there are some games uh, without fans involved. And I would think that probably a place like uh, I'll just throw a city out there, you know, as uh, for argument's sake. Probably a place like Saskatoon might be a place that would be considered. They have a pretty nice rink. I mean, say you have an American team or any team, I suppose, but a team that would be in the NHL playoffs that can't have its games at home and maybe the rest of the league is ready to go or safe enough to go. Okay, North Dakota, Saskatoon, um, where you could have TV presentation or, or maybe there might be some fans involved that that's another place that that could be on the map for the for the NHL. I mean, I think they've got a lot of different provisions for June, July, August. If it comes to that, uh, I was reading today, perhaps even if they have games in a neutral site, it's something like the Olympics, where you'd have Team A and Team B in the afternoon, Team C and Team D at night. Maybe they're all playing neutral site games, and you have a little play-down tournament like that. So a, a lot of question marks. Sports certainly not a priority at the moment, but these, you know, the, the NHL in particular wants to be able to finish the season if it can. Darnell Nurse, defenseman for uh, the Edmonton Oilers, held a conference call earlier today, and he was asked about the possibility of neutral site games. Yeah, you know, obviously that's... Uh... It's kind of conflicting because as players, I mean, this is our job. All we want to do is play. Uh, I played in front of no fans and in a heartbeat if someone told me uh, you keep playing. But um, at the same time, we have a lot of, uh, we have a very loyal fan base who comes out and supports us each and every night uh, who's been hungry for, for us to be in the position that we've been in for a long time. And uh, you want to reward them by being able to play in front of them. Uh, and that's... Uh, you know, that's kind of the, the conflict. Obviously, you want to play, you want to play in front of your own fans, but like I said, we're all, this is what we do for a living. So you put the puck on the ice, and I'm sure no matter where it is, it'll bring out, uh, it'll bring out the best in everyone. All right, a little bit there from Darnell Nurse, and this would have been the bit of a break here between the regular season and the playoffs. The Oilers were set to play their final regular season game Saturday in Calgary. They were looking pretty good to be in the playoffs, which would have started Wednesday. Oilers probably would have played their first game Wednesday or Thursday. Nurse was uh, asked if he has any what-ifs about the stretch drive of the season. Yeah, you think about it. Um, you think about every game, not just the, not just the one at the end of the year, not just you know what what point we could have been at at uh, at this date here if everyone, everything I played along but um the one thing with this virus it puts a, a real big reality check for you as a as a player as a human being um as a person you're worried about uh not just yourself you're worried about your family and and everyone, keeping everyone safe so um yeah there's a lot of thought that obviously 
know what 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 it would have been like to to play that last game and you know where we where would we have been at this point but um at the same token you you just just look around and see uh, see the world how it is. All right, there's Darnell Nurse, who is in Edmonton as uh, we wait this out. McDavid also here, Dreisaitl here. Uh, you heard from Oscar Kleffbaum last week. He went back to Sweden. You heard from Josh Archibald on Inside Sports. He and his wife and their two kids did a 21-hour drive straight Edmonton to uh, Nebraska shortly after the season was placed on pause. But Darnell Nurse has remained in Edmonton, and he's been trying to stay in shape. Uh, working out has never been uh for me i love working out so if you take uh you take the, the game away or a gym away i'll still find a way to do it some one way or another so that's uh that's one thing i do i do love i do love working out so uh there's been challenges but i mean the the backyard becomes your best friend power block weights become your best friend and uh yeah and a couple of runs with the dog so I, i'm we're, we're both working on our cardio me and aria yeah, Oilers dogs getting a lot of attention. Connor McDavid was uh, seen doing some lifts with his dog. Leon Dreisaitl said he was playing in the basement working on his stick handling with a dog and Darnell Nurse going for runs with his dog. So you can credit the canines around the NHL for helping keeping the players in shape. Inside Sports on 630 Chad Reed Wilkins with you tonight. And I'm pleased to uh, welcome back to the show Canadian kid pitched in the majors won a World Series, and describes himself on Twitter as a laughing enthusiast. And maybe we'll have a couple during the course of the interview. Ryan Dempster, you're on with Reed. Ryan, good to catch up with you, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing good, yeah. Thank you very much for uh, for having me on. Yeah, it was. Uh, we, we talked to, I don't even remember where it was, when it was. It was probably about a year ago, and uh, it was a blast having you on the show. I wish we were checking in under different circumstances, first of all, but let people know where you're riding all this out. Yeah, um, just uh, outside of the city limits of Chicago, up in uh, in Lake Geneva. And, um, you know, it's nice because you're away from the millions of people in the in the city there and uh but at the same time it's not home um you know it's 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 nice to be in your house uh through all this but just uh, able to get outside a little bit which is nice and practice the social distancing go for some walks which is really important for the mental health as well as the laughing as you talked about um you know it's a tough time but we have to try and keep everything else in perspective through all that and and um and just try and be safe and make sure we're being safe for other people too. And hopefully we're on the other side of this curve really soon. Since you retired, how active are you? How would you compare it? Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm still really active. I, I do something daily. I mean, even today I went for a run. There's a big hill here in town that's pretty steep and they, they call it the ladder. There's 12 mailboxes and you run up up to one and down and, go back and forth from the from the mailboxes down to the bottom and i did that today so um i'm i i've tried to tell myself don't don't let my uh my time away get to me physically and uh i feel good i throw to my son all the time my arm feels good my body feels good so uh no no comeback aspirations by any means but i'm <laughs> i'm glad that it doesn't hurt when i throw well i was going to ask you about that how how often you might pitch or throw a little bit and first of all how old's your son that you're you're pitching to yeah, he's uh, he's thirteen. He'll be fourteen here in a, a little over a month. So okay. Um, so you can yeah, it's, you it's, can give him the gas. Oh, yeah. You can give him a full on fastball. Absolutely, he wants it, man. He wants to see you know he wants to see how far he can hit it. He knows the faster it's coming in, the farther it goes out. So um, it's it's good to be able to let it loose. And 
I just get scared every once in a while when I yank one down at him. I just might shinburger him real quick. <laughs> what, what, what did your fastball top out at when you were uh, a major league pitcher? And when were, were, as I think you threw two or three uh, different fastballs, so were you more of a movement guy than a power guy? Yeah, I threw both two-seam, four-seam fastballs, but um, I think, man, the hardest I ever threw, maybe when I was closing, I, I ran it up to 98. Um, That's pretty good. And then starting starting wise, it was like ninety, you know, ninety five, ninety six on good days. I would sit around there. So, um, but I, I learned really quickly. It doesn't matter how hard you throw. These guys, um, they can hit a bullet out of a gun if you give them enough chances. If it's straight and it's not located, they're going to whack it. And I'll take location and movement over velocity any day of the week. Well, I I, I find pitching such an interesting art form, and. Obviously, you need the velocity, but like you said, you get you got to place it too. Uh, you know, I, I know from golf you have to have that shoulder and that hip turn, but if you can find a way to get your legs into a golf swing and still hit it straight, that's even better. I, I mean, tell me about the impact of, of of the legs in in getting some velocity behind your pitch. Obviously, you know you got you got to have the big shoulder turn and you got to whip your arm through, but how, how do you make sure you get your legs involved? Yeah, I think the, I think the legs are, are crucial in, in a couple different aspects. One, I, I think they're super important, um, you know, for just in, endurance and and taking the pressure. Your legs actually take a lot of the um, pressure off of your arm. So when your legs are really strong and they're built up, and when you get into your delivery and you're you know you come down on your landing foot and you direction directionally going to home, home plate, you absorb a lot of that energy and force in those legs and so the stronger your base is the, the less wear and tear it has on your shoulder and you know you look at the guys over their careers the you know the real workhorse of the the guys that are studs like that um you know whether it was nolan ryan back in the day or the tom Seavers or um steve carlton's they were always big and strong in the legs of fergie jenkins and then you go even say's game the verlanders and john lester's and max scherzer's these guys i mean they're squatting 400 pounds and they're they're beasts in the weight room and they're that's where that's the reason why and then on top of it you, you when your arm's feeling good you can throw a long toss and get your long toss going a little bit and build that arm strength up but and gain a little bit more velocity so i always tell pitchers all the time i mean everybody focuses on the arm the arm the arm that's great a lot of times so for some reason god blesses people with a good arm but when you build your legs up now you're talking about becoming you know really special because you avoid injuries and also too you you know you can build up that stamina where you can just sit there and throw and throw and throw and and nothing bothers you yeah, I, I love how you explain that for sure. Ryan Dempster joining us on Inside Sports, former Major League pitcher, grew up in British Columbia, World Series champ in 2013. What was it, two All-Star games you pitched in? Uh, two, I made it to two, pitched in one. I never pitched in the 2000 All-Star game. Okay. And, but, uh, uh, but made it there in then 08. Right, and uh, now an analyst, uh, MLB Network, and uh, you're hearing him on Inside Sports tonight. Okay, and I mentioned on your Twitter description you have laughing enthusiasts. So... I'll just ask you bluntly, were you the clubhouse goofball when you played? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, too much. I probably should have focused a little bit more on pitching when I was playing. Might have have had a little bit better record. Um, I always just, uh, you know, I believed in, you know, I'm not even sure who the comedian was, but he said laughter is the best medicine. Um, Of course, after you get real medicine. But, um, and I I believe in that wholeheartedly. There's, There's something about being relaxed and, um, you know, it, it kind of has this two-way street. You'll see a team that's 
dominating another team and they're winning 10 to 1 and they show a shot of the dugout and what's everybody doing they're laughing and they're smiling and they're high-fiving and they've got 40 different personalized handshakes and the, and the broadcasters go look at those guys man just having fun playing baseball so relaxed but if you do that when you're losing the broadcaster goes these guys don't take anything seriously and it's kind of interesting because you really do play your best when you're relaxed and it's just a game you're not curing cancer out there you're not you know, you're not changing the world. You're giving people entertainment. You're playing sports at, at a high level. And so when you're relaxed, you're going to play your best. And, and you have to be intense. You have to be focused. But you can't put too much pressure on yourself. And sometimes after a bad game, you know, getting somebody to, to pick their head up by making them laugh is, was always kind of my way of doing things. And I love the team bus rides or the plane rides and grabbing the microphone and playing tour guide or flight attendant and um, just always trying to keep it loose and light. And, you know, throughout my career, it seemed to um, be something that my teammates enjoyed and, and, you know, hopefully something that they remember me by. Uh, Any clubhouse prank you'd be willing to share on the air? (laughs) I don't know. I got a list of about a hundred of them. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, different ones, clubhouse pranks. I mean, there was anything from, you know, the frozen, you could do the, the frozen shirt so you take somebody's shirt hang it on a um uh what do you call a cord uh what do they call those things hanger yeah uh, put it on a hanger soak it in water put it in the freezer and then you put it in their locker the next day so they come in and go put their favorite shirt on it's frozen there's you know the the typical hot foot or things like that the eye black on the inside of the hat so you put eye black on the inside of their hat so when they put their hat on and then they go shag and then they come back in and have a gigantic black line around their forehead it's pretty funny um but my favorite one i think i ever did was uh will omen who was a a left-handed reliever we had he pulled a couple little pranks on me and as you, as guys found out quickly, I was the wrong guy to do that to. So the next day, I, I brought a camera crew in from MLB uh, Productions, and I took his car, pulled it up in front of the clubhouse while he was out shagging batting practice, put it up on blocks, took all four of his tires, and then hit him around the ballpark. So um, I told him if if he messed with me again, he could be expecting his house on some sort of stilts. And uh, that was the last time he ever did anything. How long did it take him to find the tires? Um, he started to find them pretty quick. The best part was he found two of them quickly because one was in the shower. And and then after he couldn't find the third one, um, the camera crew was strutting out with him. And then he's trying to play Johnny Cool Guy, like with his chest puffed out, his peacock feathers up, like like they were doing like a special on left-handed relievers, you know. And they followed him all the way out to the bullpen, and the last tire was sitting in the bullpen waiting for him. So, yeah, I like to have a good time. That's it. Well, yeah, you sound like a fun teammate for sure, as, as long as you're on the right side of your, your jokes, I suppose. Uh, on a on a less uh, on a less joking matter, uh, we we haven't talked just since the Houston Astros got uh, busted for sign stealing. So you know the manager got fired, the GM got fired, uh, a couple other guys who were with the Astros that year and went on to other organizations didn't keep their jobs. Uh, they they do keep the World Series. Um, Ryan, you know, as a guy who pitched and, and sign stealing has been a part of baseball probably since the first ever game where they use signs. Uh, but I, I mean, in my mind, the Astros certainly took it to a next level and certainly uh, uh, used technology the way perhaps it had never been used before. I'm just I'll start generally your reaction when when this story all broke. 
Yeah, just unfortunate. Unfortunate for the game because <clears throat> they do have really talented players there. So you, then you have this, like, what would have happened had they not done that? And so there's there's that aspect. I, I just said, just for my opinion, I, I just say throw an asterisk next to it. An asteroid, an, an astroex, right. Nick? What would you call an astronix? Yeah, something like um, something like that. Just where you know when people say, "Well, why is that there?" Well, this is what happened because over time people will forget, right? And the truth is, they they did something that they shouldn't have been doing. And I think Evan Gaddis gave an interview the other day. He was really candid about it and really great. He said, "Yeah, it is tainted. Um, we cheated the game, and it's and it's not right and it's not fair." But in the moment. It's hard, I think, sometimes when you're getting away with something. I said it's like somebody who continuously, you know, drives 20 miles an hour over the speed limit and then gets pulled over for speeding, and they're like, whoa, what, what, what's going on here? This is ridiculous. Why am I getting punished? It's like, well, you know, when you, when you continuously get away with something, get away with something, you just think that it's okay, and then you start to become a culture that thinks that's okay, and everybody starts to feel that way. Um, and and so they they got punished. They got punished in a big way. Um, the people are not going to forget. And even when they get back to playing baseball, it's going to go on, on and on. And it's unfortunate that it happened. It's unfortunate for the teams that weren't doing it. I just wondered how, like, at some point, nobody heard it. Like, if I'm out on the mound and every time I'm throwing a breaking ball, and they're laying off good pitches, and I just keep hearing a whack, 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 like, you know, Purton's playing drums down in the tunnel. Like, somebody's got to say something. You know, and I just I thought it was interesting that over that whole period that nobody ever even really noticed about it. So, when you pitched, I mean the whole I guess the most common situation I would think of there's there's a runner on second base, so your catcher has to. I, what would you guys you would change the you would change the the way he would give you the the pitch call or what would you do? Oh man, so many different ways. You do first sign after two, first sign after. Uh, three, you could do second sign, shake, go to first sign. Um, you could go sign after out. So if there's one out, it's the sign after you put down a one. If there's two outs, it's after two. Um, you, and then you shake and you wipe and you have touches on the mask. And you have so many different formulas. I always felt the easiest way to do it, to if you felt like somebody were t- stealing signs from you, you just call your catcher out. You say, hey, call for a slider down and away right here. And then you just throw a fastball right underneath the guy's chin. And they'll stop real quick. Right. They'll just go, they'll just really quickly go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think maybe we got this wrong, guys. And I'm not really going to be on this program the rest of the evening. And, and then you just kind of go about your way. And <laughs> I always felt that was a really good way. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that. So you've, you, you, you've covered that. that. That's a simple way to to uh to deal with it for sure ryan uh, i wish we had more time we'll have to try to catch up again because you're always an excellent guest and, and, and thanks for talking to us here in edmonton I'm, I'm glad you and your family are are doing well you you sound like you're enjoying life and uh let's all make it through this buddy thank you so much yeah absolutely thanks so much for having me on me uh, have me on and uh, be safe and you know uh yeah just best best to you and your family as well that is ryan dempster checking in tonight former major league pitcher 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.